Good morning, Golden Corner. Good to see you. <clears throat> if you want to follow along with me in your Bible, would you turn to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. Now, if you didn't bring your Bible, we will put the verses up on the screen here in just a moment so that you can read along with us. We're in a series of sermons entitled, People You Should Know, Jesus. And our goal in this series is to get to know Jesus better. Better than we know him right now, and hopefully, in the end, better than we have ever known him. And the way we're doing this is we're just taking the book of Luke section by section. And we're looking carefully at each section, trying to discover what we can about Jesus. Answering the question, what do these verses reveal to me about Jesus, about his character, uh, about his ways, about his likes and dislikes, his ideals, whatever. I really believe we need to know more about him if we're going to know him better. And so I want you to bear that in mind as we read these verses today. That's our objective. And as we read, just see, just kind of pray and look and take a careful look and see what you can identify about Jesus Christ in the verses that we're going to be reading. Verse number 41. Everybody ready? Okay, eight of you are ready. Everybody ready? Good, good, good now. Uh, Verse number 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Every Jewish male was required to go to Jerusalem in the month of April to observe this Passover festival. Now, uh, what were they, it was a celebration, what were they celebrating? They were celebrating the fact that God had in time past, delivered Israel from Egyptian bondage. And how were they celebrating it? On the 14th day of the month, at twilight, they were to take a male goat or lamb uh, with no physical defects, and they were to sacrifice it. And then they were to prepare a meal using that lamb or that goat. Now, the next day, they would start into a seven-day-long celebration. The first day, uh, they basically stayed in church all day long. And then, you know, on the last day, they basically stayed in church all day long. And in between, they worshipped God and they celebrated what he had done. And so, Joseph, being a devout Jew... He was faithful to do this year in and year out. So after Joseph and his family had been in Jerusalem for, for probably about eight days, maybe a little longer, the celebration ends, and look what takes place. Verse number 43. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. Look at this. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, which that's amazing to me. How do you not miss Jesus? They didn't miss him at first, and here's why, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later... This is, this is mind-blowing. They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his 
answers. Celebration's over. Joseph and Mary got to take the family. It's time to go back home. So they took care of every possible detail. I mean, they remembered to pack the salt and pepper shakers. We had the big cook pot. What about those extra blankets? Did you get the kids' jackets? What about their flip-flops? You got everything? Did we get everything? Got everything. Took care of every detail but one. They overlooked Jesus. And they started their journey without him. As a matter of fact, they traveled for an entire day without him. And never even, they didn't know that he was not there. Here's why. They just assumed he was somewhere. I mean, they were traveling with a large group of friends and relatives. And they're just assuming that just because we haven't seen him today, and just because we haven't spoken with him, doesn't necessarily mean that he's not here. He's somewhere in this caravan. Well, that night, when they'd set up camp, possibly when they'd cooked, and it was supper time. Jesus didn't show up. Now this red flagged them. They're like, uh-oh. So they started looking for him. I imagine they went, you know, from one group to the next. You know, is Jesus with you guys? And nope, not with us. Have you seen him? No, haven't. Go to another group. Is Jesus with you guys? No, have you seen him? Well, come to think of it, haven't seen him all day long. So they, get, they, they, they interrogate the entire caravan and they come to this conclusion, Jesus is missing. You know, God had entrusted them with his son. Here's what I want you to do. You take care of him. And what have you done? You've lost him. Can you imagine them saying, you know, talking to somebody saying, yeah, you know, the Messiah is finally here. He is, uh, he's somewhere. I don't know. The decision was made that, uh, listen, they're a day's journey. They're miles away from Jerusalem. It's, it's nighttime. The decision was made. Let's just camp here and we'll go back tomorrow and see if we can find him. So the next day they travel another day. We're, we're discovering where the three days come in. So there's one day away, one day back. And so apparently Jesus and Mary have a, Joseph and Mary have a couple of nights to kind of sleep on this and think of, don't you know that those were some restless nights? Third day they're in Jerusalem, they start looking. Now, as we'll see in just a moment, Mary says, we've, we looked everywhere, frantically. We searched everywhere. I'm, you know, maybe they went to the ballpark. Maybe they went to the mall. You know, maybe they went to the li- public library. I don't know. But they said they went everywhere. Finally, they decide, let's go to the temple. They go to the temple, and there's their son. Their 12-year-old son is sitting there, and he's engaged in a dialogue with the brightest theological minds of their day. And uh, I believe that according to the way this reads, Jesus was firing questions at him. What do you think about this? Or how do you believe on that? I believe they had some answers, and I believe that there were some questions they couldn't answer. And so I think these highfalutin, theologians, religious leaders probably shot some, some barbed questions back at this young 12-year-old upstart theologian. I believe they shot back at him. He'd go, okay, well, let me explain that. Here's this. They're going, what? 
where was all this wisdom coming from? And remember now, he was human, but he was also God. And over the, we, the last time we looked at the life of Jesus, the Bible said he was growing in wisdom, which means that his father was imparting into his mind uh, all that he knew, all of his wisdom, at an, you know, an, an exponential rate. So that by the age of 12, you and I would, would look at this and come to this conclusion. At the age of 12, Jesus was probably already wiser, wiser than the wisest person. And so everybody's astounded. And Joseph and Mary walk in and, and they, they discover this. And, and how do they react? Look at verse number 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Jesus looks at her and asks, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. So Joseph and Mary walk in. They see what's taking place. They hear what's taking place. And the Bible says they didn't know what to think. Do you find that just a little bit odd? You don't know what to think. And then Mary takes Jesus to the side and she begins to scold him. Can you imagine that? You're going to straighten out God. Well, some of us have tried that. It doesn't work very well. She takes Jesus and she scolds him. Why, look what you've done to us. I mean, we've been scared to death. We've just looked everywhere. And then Jesus responded to her with a couple of questions, and I paraphrased, and I think he was asking her this. Listen, the moment you recognize that I wasn't with you, you should have known exactly where I was. You should have known that I would be in my father's house, capital F, my father's house. And another translation says, you should have known that I would be involved in my father's work. And then the Bible says that Joseph and Mary responded by going, Huh? Now this really threw me. Jesus, uh, he he's already knows some things. At the age of 12, he now knows I'm no ordinary child. Joseph is not my real dad. My real dad is God. He already knows that. He's got that figured out. He knows that his father is at work in the world. Because he referred to it. You, you should have known I would have been involved in my father's work. He knew what his father was up to in the world. That my father's at work attempting to save mankind from their sins. And I believe he already knew this, Brandon. I believe he already knew that I play a significant role in that plan. I believe he knew what the role was. I will ultimately give my life as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He knew that. Uh, Which amazes me because, you know what? He is sitting here in this Passover celebration, and there have been, you know, lambs, and there have been goats sacrificed. 
And Jesus had to know this. There was a reason every one of them was male, and there was a reason every one of them was perfect. It's because every sacrifice offered foreshadowed Jesus and the sacrifice that he was going to make, the ultimate sacrifice that was to come. You say, what do you mean by foreshadowed? They were pointing ahead to him, and he knew that. That 12-year-old knew that one of these days I would give my life, as these sacrificial animals have, for the redemption of mankind. He knew that. And that's what he's trying to express to Joseph and Mary. And Joseph and Mary go, we don't know what you mean. How could they not have? I mean, an angel shows up to Mary before, you know, Jesus is conceived and explains all this to her. And I mean, listen, if that happened to you, don't you think you could recall that? An angel shows up to Joseph on a separate occasion and explains this is who, you know, the child is going to be and this is what he's going to do. And then, you know, angels show up and explain it to shepherds and shepherds come and explain it to Joseph and Mary. And a guy named Simeon stops him at church one day. He explains all of it to Joseph and Mary. And then a prophet named Anne at the same church service explains all this to Joseph. And all of a sudden, 12 years later, they're not getting it. I don't know how to explain that. This is kind of what I thought. It's been 12 years. And maybe the memory of all that is starting to diminish. And in those 12 years, perhaps, the only side of Jesus they've seen was the human side. And perhaps with 12 years of nothing but humanness, they're really beginning to question all these things. I don't know. All these other things. Guess what they're seeing now in this display in the temple? They're seeing the divinity of Jesus. They're seeing the deity of Jesus. They're seeing that he was more than human. So look what happened next. Verse number 51 and 52. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Now get this. The Bible says Jesus was obedient. Maybe, you know, Mary goes in and scolds Jesus as though he's done something wrong. As though he has been disobedient. You know, in my mind, I have to question, was this an act of disobedience, an act of defiance on the part of Jesus toward his parents? I don't think so. I don't think so. As a matter of fact, uh, in a situation like this, who would you say bore the greater responsibility here, the child or the parent? The parent. This, this was not, uh, you know, an act of defiance on the part of Jesus. It was an oversight on the part of his parents. This verse is not implying that Jesus had been disobedient to his parents up to this point and now all of a sudden becomes obedient. No, it's telling us that it was just Jesus' way to obey his parents, which amazes me because this was God in flesh. They were human. At this point, he apparently had a greater amount of wisdom than they did, yet he surrenders himself or submits himself to their authority. God submitted himself to the authority of human beings. Why would he do that? I'll tell you why. It was the right thing to do. That's the way he did it. And Jesus continued to grow in stature. means he went from being a boy to a man, and he continued to grow in wisdom. Now, he already had all this wisdom, but there was more to come because in the end, God transferred all of his wisdom to Jesus so that Jesus knew everything that his father knew, which means that Jesus knew everything. Now, what did you catch about Jesus? What did you learn about him? In, in, that, in that simple story, here's something I learned. 
One thing. You ready? We've got time for one thing. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me. You, re- you with me? Everybody, rub your hands together like this. Kind of get some blood flowing. Okay, good, 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 good. Come on, get moving here. Here's what I learned. Jesus can be lost in the shuffle. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, we can become so busy or so preoccupied with other things that we overlook Jesus. At the conclusion of the Passover celebration, the time came for Joseph and Mary to return to Nazareth. Now, by this time, they had other children, and all of their other children would have been younger than Jesus. So in my mind, I think they gathered up all the younger kids first. All of their clothing and cooking implements had to be packed for the trip. They had to buy and pack enough food to get them back home. They traveled with a large group of people, and everyone had to pack and be accounted for. There was a lot to do. And I'm sure Joseph and Mary had a lot on their mind. And to top it off, there were hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem who were doing the same thing Joseph and Mary do. They're just trying to get back home. i got to imagine that on this day, Jerusalem probably looked and felt a lot like Myrtle Beach on a Saturday in the summer. Now, if you ever, listen, if you've ever gone to Myrtle Beach and you've done a rental, you probably rented from Saturday to Saturday. And I remember the first time Lynn and I, we did this. And so you, you get up on Saturday and the last thing in the world you want is to go home, right? Am I right? That's the last thing in the world you want is to go home. So you, t- you leisurely get ready. I mean, you stretch out every, you got to be out by 11. I mean, at, at 10.59, you're getting the last items and you're stretching it out. And you're like, you know what? we got all day to make a leisurely drive back to Wahala, South Carolina. So we don't need to get in any kind of hurry. So you go backing out of the driveway and you notice that up and down those long streets, everybody is backing out of the driveway at the same time you are. And in just a few minutes, you figured out this is not going to be a very leisurely drive home as you're sitting in traffic, not moving. You ever been through Conway, South Carolina? Oh, yeah. I think that's what was happening. I think it was that Jerusalem was noisy. I think it was crowded and chaotic. And in the midst of this chaos, Joseph and Mary overlooked Jesus. They took care of every other detail. They collected the children, packed up their belongings, met up with the rest of the caravan, and slowly but surely they emerged from all that congestion in Jerusalem. It's kind of like when you get on the other side of Columbia coming home and you go, thank God that's behind us. They're out, they're moving freely not realizing that mile after mile was only taking them further away from Jesus. Joseph and Mary were so preoccupied, so distracted, and so busy with everything else, they overlooked Jesus and left him behind. They literally lost Jesus in the shuffle. Now, before we criticize them, I want us to take a hard look at ourselves. We might be guilty of doing the same thing. You think we ever allow ourselves to become so busy or preoccupied with other things that we overlook Jesus? Ronnie, what do you mean? When life gets hectic or chaotic, do we have a tendency to neglect Jesus? 
Do we ever sacrifice our time with Jesus so that we can take care of literally everything or anything else? A week goes by and we worked our job and maybe even got in a few hours of overtime. We got the kids to school every day and got them to soccer practice in the evening, even made the band recital. We cut the grass, hauled off the trash, even had a little time for our hobbies. One by one, we checked off everything on our to-do list. We started early, we worked late, and fell into bed every night absolutely exhausted, but we are done. At least until we get up on Monday morning and it starts all over again. In the midst of our hectic schedules, are we overlooking Jesus? Do we make time for everything and everyone else but we don't make time for him. Truth is, we can be so busy and preoccupied that we overlook Jesus and we neglect our relationship with him. If we lose Jesus in the midst of a demanding lifestyle, here's the result. Distance. That's what it'll produce. Distance. Joseph and Mary lost Jesus in the shuffle and the result, the result was physical distance. They were separated from Jesus by space and time. When we overlook Jesus, the result is relational distance. You know the difference in the two? I mean, I could say, you know, I am uh, distant. I am far away from the Grand Canyon. There's a lot of time and space between me and the Grand Canyon right now. Relational distance, I may say something like this. Boy, he and I were really close in high school. But time has passed. And we're not close like we used to be. That's relational distance. When I refer to Jesus as being lost in the shuffle, I'm not saying that our relationship with Jesus will be terminated. Can I go on record and say, you got me on that? I'm not saying that our relationship will be terminated. Uh, You know, Mary was still Jesus' mother, and he was still her son. They were just far apart. When we overlook Jesus and neglect him day after day, our relationship, relationship with him grows cold and stale as we become more and more distant from him. In hindsight, Joseph and Mary should have made sure that Jesus was with them, and they should have done this first. They didn't. They chose to take care of everything else first. And as a result, they lost Jesus. Unfortunately, most of us live life at a frenzied pace. We're getting a lot done. But at what cost? I fear that far too many of us have lost Jesus in the shuffle. And a lot of this... What should we do? At least one thing, perhaps two. I think all of us must look for Jesus. Do you know what was worse than Joseph and Mary losing Jesus? They traveled a full day before they realized that he was missing. How could they do that? 
they didn't miss him at first because they assumed everything is all right. So hour after hour, they got further and further away from Jesus. That evening, Jesus didn't show up where apparently he was supposed to show up. And that caused Joseph and Mary to start looking for Jesus. And after a careful search, they were shocked to discover that Jesus is not here. He'd been left behind. I believe it would be a healthy practice for us to occasionally stop and examine our lives and look for Jesus. You know, I think we can do this. We can do exactly what Joseph and Mary did, and we can just assume that everything is fine between us and him. Busyness, achievements, and activities can keep us from noticing the distance that is developing in our relationship with Jesus. So I think we have to periodically stop and we have to look for him. Is he showing up in our lives where and when he's supposed to? Let's let's put our relationship with Jesus to the test for a moment, okay? Let's look for him in our lives. When's the last time you had a real talk with Jesus. I'm not talking about, you know, just blurting out, God help me, when you realize you stepped in front of a moving truck. Uh, I'm not talking about reciting some sterile prayer that you've memorized. I'm not talking about just going through the motions thing, you know, you, you, you lay down at night and the last thing you want to do is pray and I mean, you get four words out, and the next thing you know, the alarm's going off. I'm, listen, I'm talking about when's the, I'm asking, when's the last time that we sat down and had a real talk with Jesus? Where we were honest and transparent. And we got some things out in the open, and we expressed our feelings to him. And we talked with him, and we knew that when it was over with, he heard us. When's the last time that he spoke with you so clearly that you knew he said something to you and you knew exactly what he said? Now, I get some, I get some controversy when I talk about God speaking to people. Occasionally, I have people say to me, I don't think he still does that. The problem with that is the Bible teaches that he does. Jesus even said, my sheep will hear my voice. And that's one of the ways you can know you're saved is that occasionally you will hear me address you. When's the last time he said something so distinct, so clear, it stopped you in your tracks and you said, I just got a word from the Lord. The absence of his voice would imply relational distance. How often do you feel his presence? Now, he is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. But Jesus made this promise in the book of John. He said, to those of you who are saved, I will occasionally make my presence known to you in such a way that you feel me. You feel me. You know I'm there. How often is that happening to us? When's the last time it happened to us? Is God still answering our prayers? 
When was the last time you prayed? And I'll tell you, somewhere down the road, it was obvious that God heard and answered your prayers. Is, is God blessing us? I mean, can you look at your life and see that he's still opening doors that no person could ever open? He's still doing things that, that, that only he could do. He's still enriching parts of our lives that go far beyond our effort and our abilities, our resources. Is he using us? Now, here's a question. You know, when was the last time that you felt absolutely overcome by God's power and you knew that he was using you in such a way that you saw the fruit in somebody else's life as their life was changed? When's the last time it happened? Are you happy? And this is what the Bible said in, in, the, in, in his presence. There's a fullness of joy. Or do you find yourself doing more and enjoying it less? And you know what we just did? We looked for Jesus. These are places where he should be showing up in our lives. If he's not, I think it's an indication of relational distance. Are we close to Jesus and getting closer, or are we distant from Jesus and growing more distant by the day? Here's the question. Have we lost Jesus in the shuffle? Because if you feel like you have, there's a second step we've got to take. The second step is return to Jesus. I want you to notice what Joseph and Mary didn't do when they realized they left Jesus behind. They didn't just wait on Jesus to catch up. You didn't hear Joseph say to Mary, go tell the rest of the caravan, we're just going to stay here a few days. Jesus gets this figures out and he'll, he'll catch up with us. They didn't do that, did they? You know what their decision was? We had to go back to him. They decided to return to Jerusalem and find Jesus. They stopped in their tracks, turned around and returned to Jesus. And I think this was only fitting seeing that they were the ones who left Jesus. That's right. Jesus didn't leave them, they left him. And if we find ourselves in a, in, in, you know, distant from Jesus, if we find ourselves distant from Jesus, guess who moved? Jesus made us a promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you. If there's distance, we moved. If there's distance in our relationship with him, we created it. Somewhere along our journey, we began to move away from him. We allowed ourselves to become so busy or so preoccupied with something else, we overlooked him. And there's really only one remedy for this. We have to return to him, and I really believe we need to return to him now because every day that passes, we're just getting further and further away from Jesus. Maybe it starts by answering this question, where did you lose him? Joseph and Mary lost him in Jerusalem. And maybe it would be a healthy practice if we find ourselves distant from Jesus to look back over our shoulder and try to determine where was it that we began to actually move away from him. Where'd you lose him? Was it when that last great opportunity presented itself to you? Maybe it had everything to do with your uh, a job. And man, this job came along that promised so much more money. 
and, uh, or maybe the job promised prestige in the corporation we work in. And, and, you know, we jumped all over that opportunity, never thinking about the demands it was going to place on us. Is that where you began to drift? Is that where you began to move steadily away from him? Where did you lose Jesus? Was it when you welcomed some person into your life or some group of people into your life who were clearly not following Jesus themselves? And somehow or another, you thought it would just be good if if you associated with them. But you look back over your shoulder and you realize that the day you did that was the day you slowly began to follow them away from him. Where did you lose Jesus? Was it a decision you made? You know, all of us occasionally come to these crossroads in life, and and there's two ways to go. There's the right way, and there's the wrong way. And you recall that, and you recall that Jesus clearly was when you go the right way, but you really wanted to go the wrong way. And in the end, you said, that's the way I'm taking it. And hey, I can go the wrong way, and somehow or another, everything's going to still be great between me and Jesus. Wrong. Did you make a wrong decision at that critical juncture in your life and commit to the wrong thing? Is that where you lost Jesus? You know, I guess in many ways it doesn't matter because here's what I believe. If we'll turn to him here and now, we'll find him. Joseph and Mary found Jesus and started for home, and I promise you this, they never lost him again. So why don't we start over today, and from this point on, let's be careful not to lose Jesus in the shuffle. You say, Ronnie, what does it take to uh, return to him? In situations in my own life where I let this happen, and I do, there are three steps I'd like to take. Admit, accept, apologize. To return to Jesus, we have to admit, first of all, that this has happened in our lives. That we have allowed ourselves to grow distant from him. That we have prioritized the wrong things. That we've been consumed with everything but him. And now our relationship is suffering because at some point you have to admit it. I mean, you know what? That, that, that first night that Joseph and Mary in the caravan were on the road at that first camp, after their careful search, they had to admit something. We lost him. That had to be tough to admit. But they had to admit we lost Jesus. We walked right away from our 12-year-old son, Jesus, and we left him. They had to admit it. And sometimes, listen, we're not getting back to God unless we admit that. that We've let it happen. And the second thing we have to do is accept responsibility for it. Mary walks up to Jesus and says, let me tell you what, this is your fault. Huh? You did this to us. You can blame Jesus for the distance in your relationship, and it's not going to help anything because I'm telling you what, he didn't move, you moved. There has to be that point where we accept responsibility for the distance in the relationship. And then I think the third thing is, I think we're just really owing an apology. Jesus has put a lot into this relationship that he wants with us. He's put a lot into it and a lot of work into it. If it's suffering... 
I think we owe him a word of apology for letting it suffer. And then you know what you do? You start over. And this time you do all those things that you used to do that created closeness in your relationship with, with Jesus. You just start doing those things again. Whatever those things were that really created that sense of closeness with him, you go back to doing them. In other words, you prioritize those in your day. You make sure you get to those first, and if everything else has to wait, you're going to do that, these things. That's how you return to it. And so, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of talking to some people here who lost Jesus in the shuffle, who've lost that sense of closeness, who've experiencing a distance, and you want to close the gap, and it's time you want to return to him. So here's what we're going to do. I want everybody to bow their heads together. I want everybody to close their eyes. Simply put, are you as close to Jesus this morning as you used to be? Are you as close to Jesus this morning as you want to be? Perhaps you're sitting here knowing that your relationship with him has taken a big hit because you've been so busy. There's been so much that you've ignored Jesus. If there's relational distance, admit it to to him. Accept the responsibility for it. No passing the blame. No excuses. Accept the responsibility. And apologize to him. And while you're talking to him, you make this commitment. You make a commitment to all the things that you used to do that created that sense of closeness in your relationship with Him. Maybe it's Bible reading. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's church attendance. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's being a part of a group, a community of believers who help you keep moving forward. Set the right example. I don't know. You know. I just think that today, a lot of us need to stop and recommit ourselves to those basic practices. And in doing so, we recommit ourselves to our relationship with Jesus. God, I don't understand. I don't understand us at times. I don't understand you want this relationship with us so desperately. We ought to be so flattered. We ought to be so honored that we would do anything and everything we could on our end to experience this closeness with you. But it seems like you're always in pursuit of us. We're seldom in pursuit of you. 
please. I pray that today that'll change. And that knowing your son and enjoying your son will become our greatest pursuit. And that Jesus will become our greatest joy. his wonderful name we pray together amen you are dismissed have a great sunday afternoon